I'm here once again with our favorite in-house astrologer, Robert Phoenix, and this time we're going to be talking about the winter of 2018, which sounds like it might be a showstopper, or at least showtime, with Saturn in Capricorn. So without any further ado, Robert, let's talk about what Saturn in Capricorn is all about. We're right here at the very beginning of the new year. Well, uh, first of all, it's great to be back doing this with you, Regina, on a quarterly basis in our new format, and always great to connect with you and have our dialogue. And it's been a really um, a very interesting time over the last, well, what are we now? We're um, eight days away from the winter solstice. And just to recap what took place during the winter solstice is that the sun was at zero slash one degrees uh, Capricorn, and Saturn was moving into Capricorn at zero degrees. And uh, just to give people an understanding of the enormity of this Sun-Saturn conjunction, uh, I search for hours to try to find the last time there was a Sun-Saturn conjunction in Capricorn on the winter solstice at such a tight, tight degree, and I couldn't find it. So the, the enormity of this event and the rarity of it is we're, we're, we can't even begin to kind of measure it against other times and other cycles because if it's happened, it's happened in the distant past. So we're in new territory as it relates to what's happening with this actual configuration and alignment. It's very interesting. And for some people... Um, it augurs kind of a, 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 in some ways, kind of a frightening or, or kind of a heavy energy um, that we've all been sort of living with for the last year or so anyway. Yeah. But, but there's this sense of something big in, in the offing. And I would say that that's probably correct. And one of the things, just from a mundane level, is that when we have Saturn coming into Capricorn, what we're dealing with is we're, we're dealing with the, um, you know, what, what people would call the oligarchy or the hierarchy or the corporatic state or the elite, because the elite are derived from the word L and L's related to Saturn and Saturn worship. And then we get into all that language about the black hypercube and Baphomet. And even Uncle Sam, if you look at Uncle Sam, he's a very goat-like figure. And Uncle Sam is representative of the sign of Capricorn. So now we've got all this language and all this terminology and all this symbolism and even the, the occult energy that's connected to Saturn and Saturn worship that really comes into play when Saturn moves into Capricorn. Now, to get an understanding about where we were the last time Saturn was in Capricorn, that's when essentially the world got remade. We have the fall of the wall uh, during Saturn in Capricorn. We have McDonald's going to places like Beijing and Hungary and Romania and the former Soviet Union. I mean, so what we're looking at is the rise of globalism during the last version of Saturn in Capricorn. And of course, all of this culminates on September 11th in 1991, when George Bush gives his New World Order speech. 
And that is a really interesting day because it's actually 911 days between that speech and 9-11-2001. And if you look at what happened during that time, it was paving the way for what would happen 911 days after that. Again, reordering the world and particularly in this instance, the Middle East and North Africa. So here we go again, Saturn and Capricorn, and I have no doubt that the world is going to be reordered one more time during this phase and cycle. How it's going to get reordered, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a really big question, and we could spend quite a bit of time talking about it. Nationally, uh, in this country, Saturn's gonna be moving into the second house of the United States chart, the, uh, the Sibley chart of the United States, which I actually have punched up here. So it, right now, it's still in it's classically the United States first house. And we won't be able to see the second house manifestation till roughly twenty end of twenty eighteen, beginning of twenty nineteen. What, what is the what is the characteristic of the second house manifestation? Well, the second house has to do with money and resources, okay. hard assets, hard resources. Oh, can I make a comment then before we continue? Because yeah. Just to kind of validate what you're saying, I was just going through, just cruising through a bunch of different sites from Zero Hedge on, looking at what the trends are, the expected trends coming up by various authors, and everything was awash with Bitcoin, gold, economy, bubbles bursting. I mean, almost every article I came across had to do with um, finances and solid assets. Uh, that, and so I was kind of, I thought, gosh, this feels kind of like the headlines we were reading six, eight, well, eight or 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Well, I think that there's some truth to that. Twelve years ago. Yeah. When Uranus goes into Taurus in, in May, that's when the money game begins to change. We can already see people being conditioned to accept a new form of money one has to look no further than the commercials for the latest Apple X or the Apple 10 iPhone, where they're promoting people paying with their face. So this is going to ultimately become the new currency. The new currency likely won't be physical at all. Although it would be helpful and I think quite provident for people to have hard currency, to have things like silver and gold. You know, If you can, I think it would be a really good hedge to have. Well, gold's going up. Moving into this, you know, kind of bifurcation assets and resources. We're going to have all these competing cryptos, and we're going to have Goldman Sachs getting in on on the crypto game. They've already got a patent on what's called Settlecoin, S-E-T-L-C-O-I-N. And what that is is that you're using a blockchain as a currency bridge between one transaction and another. So let's say you and I are having a deal and we have to put um, good money up between us as a, as a bridge between the transaction, um, that bridge now will be a crypto. So would it be that far off for Goldman Sachs to turn this patented sort of crypto bridge technology into something bigger? Because you know they wanna get on the crypto game. Everybody wants to get in on it to some degree or another. Uh, so it's going to be a really interesting time with Uranus going into Taurus. And I can see that there will be some monetary confusion that will take place during that time. But we're basically being conditioned to let go of our idea 
of purchasing things with hard assets, money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the Saturn uh, movement into the United States Second House, which really won't take place until at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, I think is going to be a very um, interesting and challenging time for the economy of the U.S. because that second house, that's hard assets, that's hard work, and it could go in a couple of different ways. It could go in a direction where all of a sudden we do have more Capricornian manufacturing and more Capricornian production in this country at a core second house level. It could also indicate that there will be a time of deprivation and austerity before it gets better, which is kind of what Capricorn's um, sort of modus operandi is, right? There's there's this kind of austere piece, and there's the saving piece, and there's the paring away piece, until ultimately resources are gathered and used towards some higher goal or some event or some uh, point in the horizon that Capricorn is aiming towards. Generally speaking, it's the top of the mountain, right? Now, what's interesting about the U.S. second house is that it's split between since you're not, if we're not using equal houses or equal signs, the U.S. second house is split between Capricorn and Aquarius. So part of it is old school um, industry, old school money. You know, that's representative Capricorn. And the other part of it is tech because that's what Aquarius represents. So this is going to be a very interesting kind of phase for Saturn because at some point three years out, it's going to go into Aquarius and it will still be in the U.S. second house. Now, if we want to track the early sorts of uh, transits of Saturn, transiting Saturn in Capricorn will oppose the U.S. Venus in Cancer straight out of the gate. It's there right now. So when we talk about Venus, what are we talking about? We're talking about relationships. We're talking about contracts, social contracts, individual contracts, all these things that go on between two people, whether it's in a business sense or in a relational sense. Now, Venus is in Cancer in the U.S. chart, so we have a Venus in the U.S. chart that tends to be theoretically loving, kind, nurturing. You know, we're into continuity, this whole idea of family. Um, this is all very Cancerian. And, and all these planets that we have in Cancer, Mercury, Sun, Jupiter, and Venus, are kind of aligned to some degree with Trump's planets. He has three planets in Cancer, Mercury, Venus, and Saturn. So when he locks into that Make America Great Again message, he's locking into that Cancerian theme, which you know the country was founded upon. But here comes Saturn in opposition to Venus. And it indicates now, all of a sudden, we have a new formality coming into play with our relationships. Because Saturn does represent a kind of formality, especially in Capricorn. It's really professional, it's very top-down, and if we look at what's been going on with the hashtag MeToo movement, Saturn is a cold winter chill upon the relations of people uh, from, the, from a place of being intimate, intimate and trusting to also in the workplace. You know, now, now NBC is going to have a zero-tolerance rule that's been, that's been uh, uh, put into place since Matt Lauer uh, was dismissed. And what's going to happen in the workplace now and with our connections and our relationships with people? We generally meet people in the workplace. Sometimes we have connections and relationships. I met my 
ex-wife uh, through work. We got married. We had a kid. I mean, so this is part of the natural kind of, you know, intercourse that we as humans have. And now here comes Saturn coming in and opposing Venus. So we're going to have sort of this winter chill upon relationships for a while. I hate to say it, but even in the professional workspace, it's going to begin to dominate how we relate, where the trust levels are, and, you know, who becomes the adjudicator of what's right and fair and intimate and, and violent. And I know you probably have something to say about this. I do have something to say about it. I, what, what's occurring to me is it seems also, because we talked about this in one of our uh, previous sessions together, that this is also a natural backlash of what the the um, aspect you talked about that had to do with the revelation of truth about people just speaking what's on their mind, um, these kind of deeper revelations as you're talking about about sexual harassment and so forth, and so it almost seems as this this is kind of the response to that period of time where all of this was outed, and it seems like it's in a natural astrological flow from what I'm, he I'm hearing you say. Yeah, there is. In, it, what happens then is that, look, I, th I, think, I think truth is a marketplace in some ways, just like money is a marketplace or media is a marketplace. And if there is an imbalance, um, then there's a correction or an overcorrection that will have to take place at some point. It's almost like one of the laws of the universe. You know, if we get into the whole yin-yang sort of principle, which is very reminiscent of the sign of cancer, by the way, that there has to be, if we're going in one direction, and if it goes too far, or if too much of one perspective or point of view sort of dominates the marketplace of the culture, there will invariably be a, a correction of some point. Now, what that correction is, uh, we don't know. I mean, it could be, and this is what I'm hearing, it could be that corporations are going to be far less interested in hiring women. I mean, that could be one of the corrections or the overcorrections, because now all of a sudden, you know, what do we, you know, there's, there's very little trust. In fact, trust is breaking down in a lot of ways. So is that the right uh, remedy for this? Probably not. But, you know, we don't necessarily always control the overcorrection or the correction that takes place in any kind of a marketplace. And truth is certainly, um, in some ways now, marketplace. What's really interesting, you know, I, I watch a lot of TV, and I find that we get hints of what's coming through advertising. And we can see this coming for a while in advertising over the last couple of years. But now what I'm seeing is there's a whole new wave of advertising that's beginning to market authenticity which on the one hand is really interesting. And on the other hand, it's like, well, what is nature of authenticity? And how does it become part of, you know, who we are as, 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 a, as an individual and as a species who are contributing to a culture in a holistic way? Because one, per one person's version of authenticity may not necessarily coincide with another. But it's an interesting trend nonetheless. And it's being really geared towards younger people, street culture, sports culture, music culture. Uh, Adidas has a new ad where we have all these millennials talking about creativity and imagination. And I'm seeing more and more ads that are geared up towards this. So at the very least, that's kind of interesting from a cultural perspective. Does I, this have anything to do with Saturn and Capricorn? 
Well, yes, it does. Because when we look at the millennials, we talked about this before, they have both Neptune and Uranus in Capricorn. So Saturn's going to hit these outer planets for them. And it's going to be a way for them, hopefully, to find their message, to find their way of creating culture and adding to sort of the, the larger sphere of being on this planet during this next three-year phase. So perhaps this is a time where their authenticity, their creativity, their imagination, in a Capricornian way, can be put to use. So I'm going to say, check that box. I'm going to say that's actually positive. Yeah, that's really positive. Anything that inspires creativity in the human species, to me, is the holy grail. I mean, it's how we find our way out of everything. However, what I was going to ask you is, as you're watching these advertisements on TV, um, are you finding any kind of manipulation of that message of authenticity? Is it being basically tied to things that are not necessarily authentic? Well, I would say, okay, to some degree, yes. And to some degree, no, because advertising, and you know this, for the most part has been geared towards youth culture since the late 50s and the 60s, because they realized that the number of people that were going to be available in the marketplace to actually buy goods vis-a-vis the baby boomers was quite significant. So they had to figure out how do we get into the hearts and minds of the pocketbooks of these young people? How do we change our messaging? I mean, you can watch the series Mad Men and you know, get, a, get a primer on how that happens. And so what we're seeing now is we're seeing the same thing because the, the, the millennials, their numbers, while quite not the same as the boomers, they're the second closest in terms of numbers. So they're doing, they're doing the same thing. But I think the difference here between um, the 60s and the, you know, the, 20, the 2018 or the 20-teens is that when you look at the 60s, you had a generation of older ad execs and you know, older creatives who were trying to crack the code and figure out how to get into this generation the ads that are being created now for the millennials are being created by millennials. And I think that that's a distinct difference. So there's a sense now that they're beginning to talk to one another from the perspective of product, creativity, imagination, to the actual sort of, you know, end user experience. But that said, uh, there's the Adidas commercial is interesting in that the guy who's kind of the sort of the central figure, it's almost like they're, they're sitting at this table. It's like a, the boardroom meets the Last Supper in some ways. And you have all these different people from Aaron Rodgers to um, uh, Pharrell and, and, you know, all these different athletes, all these cultural creatives. And they're, they're there. They're all there for a reason. James Harden is there. Chris Long, who has basically donated his entire salary this last year as a professional football player, to charitable causes. So these people have been chosen specifically to be in this commercial. Aaron Rodgers has been pretty outspoken in a lot of ways. But Pharrell is the guy who kind of leads all of this. And if you look at Pharrell's age, he'll, he's close to 50. I mean, if you think about it, this guy Pharrell's like 45, 46. He's on the way, he's like on the rings of Saturn when it comes to the millennials. So is there a conscious form of manipulation on, on his part in some ways to be involved in this 
kind of exercise? Well, maybe. I mean, he's got to keep his name relevant. He's got to sell music to another generation. I, I understand that. I get that. But what's interesting here about the Adidas commercial is they're not just promoting creativity. They're not promoting some form of uh, novelty or authenticity. They're actually promoting revolution. I mean, if you really drill down into that commercial, it, it, they're promoting revolution. And, and I'm not saying that from, you know, some old, you know, foe you living in Austin, Texas, who's out of that loop. No, I can actually see what's going on inside that commercial. I've seen now, that, man. Yeah. Is it going to be the fuse that, you know, lights off Antifa? Oh, who knows? I don't know. But it's clear that they're, they're, they're playing this chip, this revolutionary chip, and they're tying this notion of novelty and creativity to, hey, let's not just be creative, let's change the world. You know, the heat is on. I'm not going to stay in my lane. So this is the message that youth culture is getting. And, it, and for me, it goes to a kind of a much larger piece about manipulation. Because over the last, you know, 48 hours, I came to, to this conclusion that um, we have been in a perpetual state of revolution since the 1960s, a perpetual state of revolution, whether it's the high point or the middle point or the low point, we've been in a perpetual state of revolution. And since 2001, 9-11-2001, we've been in a perpetual state of endless war, the war on terror, the war on terror that can't be won ultimately until somebody says, hey, guess what? You know, we just won the war on terror. I mean, we would have thought that theoretically by capturing Saddam Hussein or Osama bin Laden that the war on terror would be over. Oh, no, there's a new threat called ISIS. And once ISIS dies or is diminished, there's going to be another and another and another. So we're caught between this constant sort of vice grip of perpetual revolution and the perpetual war. One is about freedom, revolution, and the other is about security and safety. And until we completely untangle those things, we're going to be bouncing back in this kind of Hegelian ping pong game until, until we unplug from both of those models of reality. Let's talk about another factor um, that has to do with an executive order that was signed right about the time the solstice was happening. And as you were talking about the configuration between Saturn and Capricorn earlier, and it has to do with the abuse of human rights. And there are all these different interpretations flying around the web on that mm -hmm. about the seizing of assets and what parts are real, what parts aren't real. What did the, what was the order of about, and why do you find this particularly significant right now? Okay, well, the, the executive order, um, I think it's, um, what is it, 1383, um, it was signed on uh, the 20, I think 20th. it was signed on the 20th. I think it was the 20th. 20th, but it went live on the 21st. Mm -hmm. It went live on the 21st. So this is, um, I'm going to punch it up here. And uh, this is the executive order. This is from whitehouse.gov. This is the executive order blocking the property of persons involved in serious human rights, abuse, or corruption. It was issued on the 21st. So it was on midnight on the 21st that this got signed into effect. 
Now, uh, what's interesting about this, of course, there's a, a number of names that are listed inside of it, people like Dan Gertler, a lot of people that you haven't heard of, basically, but they're there as kind of placeholders in some ways. Let's see, who do we have here? And uh, foreign nationals, I believe, are foreign nationals. I right, Mukhtar Hamid Shah from Pakistan, yeah. Angel Rodon Riho, yeah. American Republic, Dan Gertler, who's from Israel, but apparently he's got some, some funny, funny stuff going on in the Republic of Congo. Uh, Yaha Yame from the Gambia. So, I mean, these are basically placeholders. Slobodan Tesic. So these people are going, they're, they're right now under the microscope of the Trump administration and looking at freezing their assets because of this executive order, which they deem if there is a human rights violation, that it is enough to go in grab the money, and then essentially do whatever it is they need to do as a result of it. But if you look at it from a purely economic standpoint, if these people have assets and resources, this could be an asset. This, is, this could be along the lines of you know, asset forfeiture to some degree. It's like legitimizing it at a level of you know, international concern. So what's behind all of this? Is it an asset grab? Or is there something else going on? Are they laying the tracks for the names on this list to be people that we might be more familiar with? You know, the, Trump has just declared that this month, January, is going to be anti-human trafficking and anti-slavery month. And this is on the heels of this executive order. Now, you and I began to talk a little bit about the QAnon stuff, which um, I brought to your attention and it's almost as if the QAnon material is becoming kind of a, a religion unto itself in some, in some ways. It seems like it, yeah. Order. yeah. And if we look at that, the whole, you know, Q sort of symbology, we have Q from James Bond, who's, you know, the guy who's, you know, handing out James Bond's, you know, marching orders, essentially. MI6, yeah. That's right, MI6. Yeah. We also have Q from Star Trek in the next generation, who is the master of the universe. I mean, that's another manifestation of Q. So this whole Q thing is, is quite interesting. And it really started to show up, I think, just before uh, the uh, Las Vegas event. And the, so there's 4chan and then there's 8chan. And Q uh, started to show up on 4chan and then apparently has moved to 8chan or bounces back and forth. And there are people who, who are trying to figure out who this Q is clearly there's a high degree of intelligence and a high degree of parsing of language and knowing things that are going. So for instance, one of the things that Q talked about was um, uh, Disneyland. And then right after this Disneyland kind of mentioned, the power went out on Disneyland on Christmas day. And it was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And it was out for like five hours. And Disneyland was packed to the gills with people on Christmas day power now. He also made a reference to LR, who is Lynn, apparently it was to Lynn Rothschild, who's been connected, of course, to Hillary Clinton, amongst a number of other people. And then right after that LR reference, there was a plane that crashed on the Rothschild estate. And there's a rumor that um, uh, Jacob Rothschild actually died. Now, whether that, that's true or not, I don't know. But again, it's been these events and the timing of certain things that have been 
quite unusual. And when you look at when you look at Trump and what Trump has been doing in his speeches when he's talking to the media at press conferences, there's some very interesting things that he's been doing that are highly unusual. And people are trying to figure out, you know, why he's drinking with two hands versus one. You know, there are some people that, well, he's just a neat freak. He's fastidious. There are other people who are saying, look, he's actually mocking people drinking from a water bottle with handcuffs on. And then Trump, who has been known to wear essentially three color ties, red, dark blue, and then that kind of pale blue, all of a sudden begins to wear purple ties at his press conferences. And there are people that are reading into this that the purple ties related to Soros and the color revolution. Now, what's interesting is that there are other people tracking what's going on on Twitter. And are people like Hillary Clinton, uh, uh, George Soros, uh, Tony Podesta, John Podesta. John Podesta is a serial tweeter. There is a big gap in Podesta's tweets. And Soros, apparently, I don't follow him, but apparently Soros tweets every day. Well, Soros has not been heard of. And there's some other, this thing has spawned such kind of an underground um, wave of citizen journalism that is mind-blowing in a lot of ways. Like, there are people on YouTube who are tracking flights in and out of Guantanamo, and there's all these flights now going into Guantanamo. There are actual software that you can track. There's so much going on right now. It's kind of hard to, you know, when when I first started to uh, follow the QAnon material, it's like, okay, look, we've been through this before. We've been through this with, you know, David, to some extent, we've been through this with Nasara. I mean, all these schemes, like the White Hats, I mean, and I've just, you know, distanced myself from that material as much as possible. So I've been fairly, you know, cynical and reserved about it. But as time has gone on, there, the confluence between some of the QAnon stuff and what's actually happening is worth taking note of, and especially the executive order which took place right on the Sun-Saturn conjunction. And when I see that Sun-Saturn conjunction, and then, of course, um, the, the compendium or the, the analog of that uh, executive order is the tax bill, which was signed into effect on, on uh, the, the day of the solstice. So we have these two very important kind of documents, whether you agree with them or like them or not, They've been, they've been signed during that Sun-Saturn conjunction, which is extremely powerful. And, it, and it, I think it has far-reaching consequences for the next three years and beyond. So just to get people up to speed, the whole idea behind the QAnon stuff is that there are um, essentially warrants, about 5,000 warrants that are signed and ready to go. And one of the things that QAnon has been talking about is that in order for these warrants to be issued, um, there's going to have to be martial law. I mean, that's the piece around all of this that is troubling, right? So do we trust the fact that martial law is going to be in our own best interest? Or is this another, you know, sort of scam? Is this another 
um, you know, guarding at the gate that's going to be baiting and switching kind of one form of, you know, uh, of, of indentured servitude for another. I mean, we don't know at this point, but that's kind of where this QAnon material is headed. And if it does take place and you watch the likes of Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, George Soros, John McCain, by the way, this will be bipartisan. It will not just be Democrats or progressives, but it feels like the majority of them will be. If, you, if this does take place, people's heads are going to be blown from the inside out. And if you think things were bad after the election, just wait to see what happens after an event like this. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but we cannot dismiss the fact that this has taken place during the Sun-Saturn conjunction. And again, if we just look back from 1988 through 2001, which was the bulk of Saturn and Capricorn, the world as we know it got remade. It totally got remade. And we're on the precipice, I believe, of that happening again. And the next few months are going to be rather important. This now goes to some of the other things that you and I, that I sent to you, is the Mars transit of Scorpio going through the U.S. 12th house. This is going to be very interesting. It's not quite there yet, but it's going to take place. And when it does, that's the house of hidden enemies. That's the 12th house. Of course, I'm using the Sibley chart. Not everybody uses it. I do. But uh, this is where, theoretically, this Mars energy in Scorpio, the underbelly, the darkness, the depravity, you know, perhaps the human trafficking, you know, the, the pedophile, the pizza gates, what, whatever. Whatever is there has a, has a large degree of, po of potentiality of being dredged up. They just released, if I'm not mistaken, some of Huma Abedin's emails to um, mm -hmm. her ex-husband or, yeah. or her husband. I read that this morning, yeah. Yeah, so this is the, the, the you know, starting to dredge this stuff up from the bottom of the swamp. And apparently, now I can't, again, I cannot ver verify this, but part of the part of the big Q material stuff was that about four or five weeks ago, there was a major firefight at Langley between Marines and the CIA. Now, there are people who have information that will um, back that up. I'm not willing to say that that actually happened, but that, that's part of this. That what we're seeing here is the, is the beginning of what I think will be a tremendous purge. I think this purge is coming. And people are going to, I think they're going to flip their wigs. And what I was sharing yesterday on my, uh, my, my radio show podcast, Saturn Capricorn is the long view. It is not the immediate. It's not, and we've been so... In, you know, indoctrinated into now, 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 me, 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 now, now, now. Now, when we get into the Saturn and Capricorn material, we're going to have to take a long view. We're going to have to, like, step back and say what's really going on here. And part of it is going to have to spark us in some ways to detach from judgment as best as we can. Now, that doesn't mean that we let go of everything, we agree with everything, but we have to kind of set, set aside a part of ourselves, I think, in order to see the long picture or the long view. 
Now, the other thing with Saturn and Capricorn, which I think is really important, is that's the individual side. And what I mean by that is if you go back and look at the last time Saturn was in Capricorn, we didn't have the internet. We had a really top-heavy government. It started off with Ronald Reagan as president. He was the great father. I mean, you could, you know, one could make a, a case that Reagan was like the, sort of the last great patriarch of the presidents. Because clearly George Bush was not a great patriarch. He didn't have that kind of patriarchal tone or aura about him. Whether or not it was real with Reagan or not, it doesn't matter because that's how history has cast him. Uh, after Bush, what do we have? We have Clinton. He's not a great patriarch at all. He's kind of, he's that cool saxophone playing guy from the South, right, y'all? And then we have the younger Bush. He's no patriarch either. Right? He's, he's, you know, he's barely able to manage a presidency at times. And the presidency is being run by, uh, you know, Dick Cheney, Don Rumsfeld, and John Ashcroft anyway. Then we morph into Obama. And while Obama struck a figure as being a nice dad with the two kids, he's not really a great patriarch. So Reagan's kind of like the last one. And we had no social media at that time. Well, guess what? Trump is in some ways the anti-Reagan. You know, he's, he's certainly close in age to Reagan, but there, he's not the great patriarch that Reagan at least cast as an image. But we have social media. We have people wanting to get involved. We're not seeing government as being this monolithic. I mean, it is monolithic to the extent that that's the way it's been, but now we have access. Now we have people that are wanting to get involved. Whether or not you like Steve Bannon, whether you not, or not you like the movement that's taking place, it's a populist movement. Even on the left, you've got people wanting to get involved in their own kind of you know, various and sundry ways. Well, here comes Saturn and Capricorn. Here's your chance. Get involved. Run for something. Get behind something. You want to change the world? Next three years, the energy is there because we're competing with models that the Saturn Capricornian kind of oligarchic structures are going to want to dole out for us as well. It's going to be a really interesting time, Regina. Well, you know, what's interesting is that everything you were saying through last year and even up through our last chat about um, the fall, you know, the, the final quarter of 2017, again, I brought this up earlier, had to do with um, truth rising to the surface. And it sounds like what you're saying here across the board, whether it's in through the world of uh, finances government or whatnot relationships that now a time of reckoning has come it's time to kind of pay the bills pay the piper and now <clears throat> re-establish whether there are agendas in, embedded in it which of course there will be but to kind of re-establish ourselves by stepping up and paying our bills on time right saturn and capricorn is about growing up yeah you know, we have Saturn in Sagittarius, which is, let's get to the truth, let's get to the truth. Aha, aha. There's all the aha moments of the last three years, and they were playing. Aha, aha, aha. Well, this is what happens when we're adolescents. You know, we, what happens, you know, when we're adolescents, you know, between four, at the age of 14, we go through the first Saturn opposition. 14, 14 to 15, we go through the first Saturn opposition. We begin to oppose the dominant paradigm that we were born into. We begin to oppose the, uh, the paternal structures of Saturn. And we begin to develop our own relationship with culture. We begin to develop our own inner authority during that first opposition. And part of that 
is this exercise where youth has a connection to truth and they see hypocrisy quite easily because they're basically fresh off the boat of, you know, the island of spirit and they're here and they're like, oh, look at this, look at this. Well, this doesn't add up and this doesn't add up and this doesn't measure up. This is part of that Saturn opposition. Well, we went through that the last three years with Saturn and Sagittarius. You know, we went through this kind of adolescent phase, and not in a bad way because it's an important phase. Now it's like Saturn and Capricorn. Okay, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? It's okay to sit on the sidelines and say, sex offender, pedophile, uh, drug addicts, whatever. But now what are you going to do about it? This is going to be the question and the mantra for the next three years. So we're there. We're at that point. So you just talked a little bit about um, um, Mars and Scorpio and the 12th house, and it's transiting through to the first house, right? So let's it will, talk. yes. What happens after up, that? Let me punch up the U.S. chart here. Mm-hmm. Get a, a gander on it. Uh, so Mars, the U.S. chart, again, this is the Sibley chart, and that's – uh, it, it's based on um, the signing, based on Sibley's account of the signing. He was a friend of Ben, ben Franklin's. Sagittarius rising, eight degrees. Mars right now is at Scorpio uh, 12. So it's just about to enter into the U.S. eighth house, where it's going to spend until, oh, let me see, um, so eight degrees, it's going to be the 11th of February is when it's going to hit the U.S. ascendant. So between now and the 11th of February, it's going to be a very interesting time. And then it hits that first house, Mars and Sag in the first house. That's going to be very interesting. Very, very interesting. What's that, that also comes off of the heels of the lunar eclipse that's going to take place on the 31st of January which um, I sent to you just before we got on the, uh, on the air here or on the, uh, on the chat. That's going to be an interesting time because that's the companion of the solar eclipse that took place in August. So the moon at that point in time will be at 11 degrees Leo and the sun will be at 11 degrees um, Aquarius. And it will be visible, this eclipse will be visible in the northwestern part of the United States, but will be primarily visible in Asia and the big solar eclipse in August on the 11th of August this coming year will be again. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, that's the vi- yeah that will be visible in uh, Asia as well. So it's going to be very interesting in terms of you know sort of these omens for Asia, and the Asians are very superstitious by the way, especially the Chinese. So if there's an eclipse taking place over their part of the world, it's kind of a, an ominous. Um, sort of um, um, sign, so to speak. But we have another solar eclipse that's coming up, and that's on, I believe, the 25th of February, if I'm not mistaken. So let me get back to my notes here, just to make sure I got it all uh, in place. That's going to be taking place at, um, in, the, uh, in the Antarctic. It's on, so that's a really interesting kind of moment in time, this, this partial solar eclipse. It's on, the, it's on uh, the 15th. It's on the 15th of February. So that's going to cross Antarctica. So, you know, everybody out there that's into the uh, uh, sort of the symbolism of Antarctica and all that stuff, 
you know, having a solar eclipse. It'll be interesting to see who goes to Antarctica to view this solar eclipse. Mm. So those are the two eclipses we have coming up. And the one that's happening at the end of January is that companion to the, the solar eclipse that happened in, uh, in August. So if there are people who were impacted by that solar eclipse, and some people were and some people weren't, and I know, I know people who have, you know, 28 degrees Leo rising, and that eclipse took place right on their Leo, and they had Pluto, 28 Leo on their, and it's like nothing really happened to them, except maybe their lives got a little bit better. So it didn't impact everybody in the same way. But if it did impact you in a in a uh, an intense way or um, what might be called quote unquote negative, this lunar eclipse is the companion for that and could provide some interesting answers or solutions or resolution to what took place in August on the twenty eighth. What about the Venus Neptune conjunction that's happening just sometime after Valentine's Day? I think you said February twenty second. Yes, hold on one second. I just want to make a, a correction. The eclipse took place on August 21st at 28 degrees. I know a lot of people are very specific here, and I just want to make okay. sure. Okay, <laughs> good. Thanks for the correction. Okay, yeah. Venus-Neptune conjunction, February, end of February, the 22nd. Yeah, that happens on February 22nd, and it's a window. That Venus-Neptune conjunction is a window. And, um, of course, Venus is going to be Pisces. Neptune is in Pisces. I think it's a really fantastic opportunity for people to lay down their arms. You know, we don't get, I mean, you know, we'll have the Venus-Neptune conjunction, you know, it, it, it happens. It, like once, once a year, roughly, it happens. So it depends on if Venus is retrograde. So it's roughly once a year. So when it happens, though, it, it can be a really powerful, wonderful transcendent moment in time you know if, if if enough of us understand that on february 22nd this is happening and we activate some level of forgiveness which is really tough for people you know for some people it's really difficult to forgive we you know we have these long buried wounds and grudges and resentments and you know, it's tough, and at some level, we're going to have to move through that stuff at some point in time. You know, the grievances need to be addressed, and once they're addressed, then you can move on from them. There's no point in continuing to carry around this burden that we've been carrying around, and that's from the personal to the collective. So this Venus-Neptune conjunction can be very, very healing. Back, it should be considered a day of healing for people and basically working on forgiving somebody that in your eyes has wronged you and hopefully you've been able to, to at least address it and get it out in the open you know one of the things about Saturn and Capricorn that I that I love is that unlike cancer which is the opposite sign of Saturn or Capricorn which I actually really like I like cancer a lot I like all the signs um, and cancer tends to look backwards. Cancer is sentimental. Uh, Capricorn is not sentimental at all. And in fact, Capricorn is looking towards the future. It's looking outwards towards the rest of the solar system. It does look backwards as well, but it's that last outpost between the personal planets and the transpersonal planets. So one of the things that we have an opportunity to, with, with Saturn and Capricorn is to bury our sorrows and put, put them in a
the basket and just bury them. And it's time to move on. This is, this is the one thing that we can take away from with the uh, corporate relationship that is uh, endemic of Saturday Capricorn. Corporations are not sentimental. And there's a good side of it, and then there's a bad side of it. The good side of it is, hey, look, this work, it's not working anymore. Let's make a decision and cut it out. We're spending too much money over here. This is bloated. We've got to make a choice in order to move this forward. The downside of that is, is that people unceremoniously wind up losing their jobs. And, you know, you get the whole human element that's part of this. And sometimes there is gross overreach with Saturn and Capricorn. You can look to somebody like, you know, Mitt Romney and Bain Capital. Just goes in, buys companies, instead of rebuilding them, let's just gut them. That's the dark side of it, right? But there's something for us to be learned about this process. And I think we can streamline and we can literally bury these, these resentments and these grudges that we have and move forward. That is part of this lesson with Saturn and Capricorn. It's moving forward and leaving the, 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 the hooks and the pain and all these things from the past behind and you you want to you want to do some soul searching and you know have a little ceremony or a ritual you know say goodbye to them you know pay them pay them their dues pay your respects to your past because a new world is coming you better you better get up to speed real fast with it i like that so we have a day to reflect we have a time to let go of the grudges let them go and then kind of take stock with a very clear objective eye of reality and our own participation in creating that reality i mean i think that's the big thing we have to get away from is on some level whether it was by commission or omission, we are all part of this collective reality and what has been created. So we have to own our part in it. And it sounds like then the astrology actually supports us to take action. Once you've assessed what's going on, don't be passive anymore sitting and grumping, but take action, right? Absolutely. And sometimes the actions are really, really small actions, but they can be really empowering. Look, I used to love Netflix, and the reason I love Netflix is because they spent a large amount of money going out and purchasing content, movies. I like watching movies. And there's some original content that Netflix makes that I like. There's more of it that I don't like. So what did I do? I unsubscribed from Netflix. Bottom line, you're, you're not going to get my money to create a TV show uh, based on essentially eating people the Santa Clarita diet. I'm not yeah. going to support that. I'm sorry. Right. You know, that's just not, I may get, you know, a stranger things or something like that out of the deal, but I'm just not going to support it. And that's inherently the power that we have. If you don't like something, do something about it. Unplug from it. No longer give your consent. Give your consent to something that you do approve of. And if there's something you don't like in terms of a, a law, whether it's local or national, you know, get involved, make a change. Growing up is very empowering. <laughs> we, you know, we've, uh, this country has tended to avoid growing up for a long time. We've been considered to be in our adolescence, but now it's time for certainly the United States and not only the United States, it's the rest of the world. We are all being challenged with having to face these grudges and moving beyond them and taking responsibility. 
governmentally and otherwise, and we don't even have time to get into all that's going on politically and saber rattling and all that. I just want to keep it on note that of a place where we can personally join in with the issues. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I totally agree with that. Yep. Any final thoughts, any aspects we haven't gotten to yet, Robert? As anything besides this uh, potential to let go and make peace on February 22nd? Anything else along that line? Um, yeah, I think, I think you know, look, I think that the spring of 2018 is, that's the big show. It's the big show. This is when Uranus goes into Taurus. This is when we have Mars going into Capricorn, conjuncting Saturn. Uh, Mars, one of the things about 2018 is that Mars will spend six months between Capricorn and Aquarius. So this is, so we have roughly three months, I think, to get your house in order. That's what I think. So get your emotional house in order. Try to get your financial. Now, I'm not predicting doom and gloom and things are going to go to hell in a handbasket. But when these major aspects kick in, when we get that Mars-Saturn conjunction that's taking place April-March, March-April, it's a big deal. Chiron goes into Aries around, uh, what is it, uh, uh, April 20th. Chiron goes into Aries. Uranus goes into Taurus. So these are big aspects, and they're all happening in the spring of 2018. Take the next three months to get your house in order. Get clear on things. Leave the past behind. Get streamlined. Get rid of stuff you don't need. That's another Saturn and Capricorn deal. Go through your personal belongings. Divest, divest, divest. Get lean, get mean. You know, look at what you really need in your life. You know, what you need, keep it. It's funny you've been seeing. Things that you can purchase out of that sort of vacuum or void that might be more meaningful for you. That's my, that's my takeaway. That's my sense. Get ready for the spring of 2018. Uh, it's going to be a big game changer, huge game changer. It's funny you should say that about just clean up your act and getting rid of stuff. I'm between a move between Sedona back to California again. And one of the things that's happened is I've ended up with a nearly empty closet in California. Every time I go in there, I'm so happy. I love having almost no clothing in there. It yeah. just feels spacious. Like I don't like everything starts closing in on us and encroaching on us when we're gathering too much, whether it be mentally, emotionally, or even materially, you know? Yep, I agree. And one of the things people need to keep in mind is that at one point in time, Saturn was the ruler of Aquarius. And once Uranus was discovered, you know, Aquarius got moved over to Uranus. So embedded in sort of the ancient astrology of Saturn is the element of change. It's not just this Capricornian model of sort of top-down governance in the world around us, even in our own lives, but there is also an element of change that's connected with Saturn and, and to some degree even Capricorn. Uh, so keep that in mind. We're, we are really entering this vector of tremendous change. And uh, get ready. It's going to be really interesting. The thing, one final thing, try. Try as best as you can to detach a little bit and see where things are going. 
versus zooming in and saying, you know, this is, this is wrong or this is right or this is the truth because we're not in that phase right now. I love it, Robert. Truth followed by personal responsibility. I mean, it's a very, to me, everything you've said is actually a very empowering message. Um, we, like you say, we've been in revolution since the 60s, so there's nothing new there, really. But the fact that it's on our shoulders now to start really lifting the game on a personal level and a collective level, I like. So, Robert, until roughly April Fool's Day, right? April, yeah? April 1st, yeah. we'll come back together and we'll do this again. Um, I just want to thank you again so much for taking the time to enlighten us as to um, our need for personal responsibility and forgiveness. Well, coming from somebody who's going through their second Saturn returns, it's been my <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> so you can check out Robert's work at robertphoenix.com where he has all kinds of analysis, opportunities for group gatherings, individual readings, a little bit of everything. Um, you'll have a chance to connect with him through his site and his um, really profound work. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com.